Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with D Knox. Techno has always been a part of Donnell Knox's DNA. As a kid, he used to leave his hometown of Kalamazoo to spend summer vacations in Detroit and Chicago, where he taped radio shows from The Wizard and Hot Mix 5. He eventually started releasing high-octane techno as Dinox in his late teens and founded his own label Sonic Mind soon after in 1995. He's always tried to infect his music with a positive, holistic energy, hoping to subconsciously help people understand their place in the world. In this conversation with Will Lynch, Knox unpacks this spiritual philosophy and explains how it's shaped his life and music. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Dinox is up next. over here from Warsaw. Yeah, yeah, actually, I, I'm living there. What's your life like out there? You sort of hold up making music, or what's well, it I, like? You know, that's how I got there, actually. I had some bookings. A guy in the Echoplex, you probably, as you know, he knew I was going to be in France for a month on tour, and he got me to Poland because, you know, there were some parties that some people wanted me to play on, and he was doing a record for Sonic Mine at the time. So... I ended up going there because of that, and I just stayed longer because I started doing other things, like teaching English and Hmm. doing films, actually, because there's a big need for native speakers doing movies in Warsaw. Strange thing, yeah, I I learned about this, and I just, okay, you know, but of course, after I met my wife, that got me to stay longer, so I have a normal life there, like I did in Kalamazoo, but I'm, you know, I have enough free time to work on music and run the label, so I love it. And you have friends out there, not just Echoplex, but Damon Wilde also lives oh, out yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Damon, actually, he came about a year after I was already there. You know, he also came through Echoplex, the same situation. Something was going on in Paris, and he ended up in Warsaw. And we both ended up at the same school. We were both kind of teaching music to younger children, but teaching them English at the same time. So we were using our music, hmm. you know, together. And then he left to another school yeah, to do the same thing. And... I stayed at this one because I became friends with the owner. So he's almost like a brother now. So it's I can't actually leave. You, you know what I mean? Because he's like family, friends. So, but it's okay. I, I don't work much. 
maybe two hours at most during the day, but I have a, a like a very good salary for this. Hmm. And like I said, I have so much free time to work on music. It's great. What's Warsaw like in terms of, you know, as, as a city for a creative person? I don't think it's the best place if you're, you know, um, trying to be an artist, artist, or say I think Krakow and Wrocław would be better for that. But I live by the forest. It's like the last metro stop, and it's like a city within a city of uh, Warsaw. And that allows me to work, actually, because I think of the natural, the forest is near, and the life that's over there. It's like more families. So it was similar surroundings like in Kalamazoo, hmm. which I have in Warsaw now. So I've gotten quite comfortable, and that makes it you know, easier to work. So at this point, you've been doing music for almost 25 years. Yeah, the first release was in 1994 on right. my label. And I was going to ask if if it had been a full time gig this whole time, but I guess um, right now you, you said you're teaching uh, it, English and music as well. You know, has it often been like that, or have you often had something on the side to sort of support your music? I there were moments where that's all I did because I had so many bookings. But I was flying back and forth from Kalamazoo, Michigan, and that's not a direct flight like from Detroit or Chicago. So uh, what I used to do, I always tried to keep something on the side just for in case and it's not in case because i needed the money but in case i would get bored of you know sick of jumping on airplanes and stuff so i would find some kind of like jobs that like they were on call that i could do but there was a point of like eight years where i was just going back and forth playing like on just little parties here and there in europe i'd be in europe for a month and then back in kalamazoo for two then back to you know some place some places i can't even remember hasn't always been like that but now i like this balance because i don't have to go play every party like i used to when you know when i was first starting where you got to sort of take it because you need the money to survive now i can pick and choose and really okay pick the right good people that are spiritually minded and good people and play for them there's no sense of urgency that i gotta just do whatever to survive now i can actually treat the music uh, right Hmm. and have fun with it again like it was in the beginning and actually make good quality things you know for people so to be able to do both Hmm. you know equally i think it helps each each thing you know yeah sure and your music is pretty you know you have a pretty clear vision it seems like it's it's a lot of it's pretty fast full-on like Uh you know um (laughs) you're not watering it down and i guess maybe it makes it easier to be so honest in your music if you're not completely relying on it yeah no i I can't i don't know how to do it any other way you know since i've started making music this way it's the same formula it's just that it's okay i've gotten better at the mixing and mastering part obviously because in the beginning it was just straight from the mixing board straight to the the real-to-real machine with no kind of mixing or mastering skills but now i've taken some time actually the computer make me do this in this way now it's just lovely it's great to just have this fun feeling again. Mm. I'm just really, really loving it. To And I don't care if it sells. Totally don't care. It's just I can put out what I want, when I want. If you want to buy it, buy it. If not, okay. That's, you know, it maybe it'll sell in two or three years. How would you describe your relationship with your music in terms of, um, I don't know, it's like you're kind of channeling a part of yourself into it? Or it seems like you have a relationship with music where mm-hmm. you would make it even if no one heard it. Like it's just something you sort of have to do. There are moments where I start working on something and I get lost. And about five minutes later, I'm thinking, oh, what's, what's going on? So it's obviously something spiritual, I think, some deeper connection. 
it's almost like I feel like I'm a slave to it and it's a slave to me because it's just part of what I do. I cannot never imagine having uh, not having equipment in the house. You know, this has been there so long. Even if I'm not doing anything in there, there's always a drum machine or keyboard or some kind of small setup. And, I, you know, I often call this beat therapy because, okay, if it's not there, it's not me. You, you know what I mean? So I think that's why Sonic Mind is the way it is because I, I started getting into spiritualism quite early on. I had a girlfriend from India, and, you know, I was doing some bad things before I met her, and then I met her, and she started, like, introducing me to, hin you know, Hinduism and all these things. And I started changing myself and becoming more uh, spiritual-minded. And the whole sonic mind thing has been about that. Mm. Just trying to help people uh, achieve their higher selves. Yeah, I wanted mm. to ask you about that. Um, I read this line that's kind of like a mission statement for the label. Uh -huh. Probably know what I'm going to say, where it's something like that sonic mind helps the listener regain knowledge of their higher self. Uh -huh. I know, could you sort of just explain that a little bit, say what you mean by that? You know, anything you do with intention you can bring about like if you focus on it and you say this is this is the outcome i want from uh what i'm actually doing so with sonic mind i had it in mind after meeting uh i'll just say her name nomita my mission was yes i want to bring everybody to their higher selves why not and i think through my music i can do this so that's what it's been about from the start and i've just never been able to stop thinking in this way like when someone listens to my track Maybe there's this one frequency or tone that can make them want to be a better person, you know, uh, to achieve to be the uh, the highest person that they can be and not thinking a lower uh, self because this would just be better for the world in general. I think you probably have less crime and if people are, are totally aware of what they can actually do and not really what they were taught in school, for say, you know, it's all about, okay, Baby Sonic Mind will help someone become aware of their total possibilities. You know, just using the mind. You know, sometimes you don't even have to go train somewhere. You can actually just think about it, like visualize on it, and it's the same thing. The mind doesn't know the difference if you're actually doing the action or thinking about it. So when I was going for boxing training, you know, when I was younger, I would do this often. I would see myself in the ring uh, sparring with someone and lasting three rounds or something. And then when I actually have to go do it, it was as I saw it in my mind. Hmm. That's pretty much what it's about just helping you achieve your higher self through this techno music and i guess maybe the label that's kind of what it is for you yeah or for you know it's a goal achieved it's something you visualized and yeah it happened kind of yeah actually the whole i even told myself i said one day i'm gonna have dual citizenship and when i looked at the map and i just put my finger there it was it wasn't exactly poland it was somewhere around czech republic and slovakia and i said somehow i'm gonna be over there but then i ended up in warsaw <laughs> you know, just thinking about it. And then it happened. The mind just created the conditions for that realization to happen just because I, it was a thought. And I just kept thinking, you know, this traveling back and forth from Kalamazoo, Michigan, to some other country, the, you know, the airports is just uh, it's wearing on me after a while. I, I would like to be over there and do it from there. I just never imagined that, okay, wow, I, I get a chance to be in some films because like some American companies are filming in Warsaw, it's cheaper for them. And I actually can teach English to a younger kid and, and help him not only through the music, but now I can help this uh, child become a better person, not only learning English, but themselves, they feel better about themselves. 
So I never thought Sonic Mind would do all that. You know, it got me my wife, <laughs> brought me my two cats. <laughs> you know, it brought me uh, Warsaw, which is great. And, you know, now I can come to Berlin as, as much as I want to. I can just take off work and come here and stay a few days or a week. And now I have some good friends here, too. You know, and I'm starting to learn the city. I don't know if I necessarily want to live here, but I like coming here often. Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to think about the parts of music that aren't actually music, but that, you know, the things that music kind of yeah. makes possible or brings people's lives, especially connections around the world and the possibility to move somewhere else where, mm -hmm. you know, like the idea that being from Kalamazoo, you've kind of got friends on the ground in yeah. Warsaw. Like that's something <laughs> that, you know, is thanks to music. Yeah. Just to touch on it for a second, what exactly is the thing with the films? Can you just explain that a bit? Well, for example, some American directors or producers, or they actually, they're filming parts of a film, of a movie, and they have different locations. They often choose Warsaw because they can film part of the movie over there for a cheaper rate, obviously. So they need English-speaking people, and they know that native speakers are living in Warsaw, so through a casting agency or if you just know someone that's in the business, they'll often tell you, hey, they're going to be casting for this film. I think you'll be good in it. I just got lucky enough that my friend got me to an agency, and I told them right away, I will not go for castings. You have my picture. You know what I do. If you need me, call me, and if the rate is good, I'll come. But I won't go for a casting where there's 200 people and hope, you know, because this is a gamble. I don't have time for that. So I've had about a couple good films that paid really well, you know, for a day's work. One was uh, 1,600 euro a day for five hours each day. And all I did was I uh, was pretending to be a soldier for this essential uh, killing film, which was Skolomowski's film hmm. with uh, Vincent Gallo. So it, there's a trailer of a soldier holding Vincent Gallo like down. And that's actually me <laughs> on this trailer on uh, YouTube. And I think, yeah, I didn't do much those days. And I had, you know, 3,200 euro for just two days of work. So, yeah, I don't do them often because they take a lot of time. You know, there's some where you can be on a film set the whole day and you only actually work two hours, but you're there 12 hours. And then there's some where you, you film for five hours from one angle. And this is what I had to learn. I didn't know that they just move, set up and move things around. And I'm thinking, okay, five hours, I'm going to go home now. And, oh, no, we have a break. And then we have to film. Film again? What? Oh, we have to film from this angle. And then that angle, and, you're, and then it creeps in. Oh, okay, unless you're the main star and you have that trailer, you're going to be here just hanging out with a lot of people you don't know. And <laughs> I totally look at films differently now. Yeah, sure. Because I know, I know it's 100 people around. The guy is over here eating a sandwich. This guy's playing cards. Some guy's over here joking, you know, <laughs> while you're doing a scene. <laughs> but yeah, it's cool that you, uh, I mean, not everybody wants to, like, completely make a living off playing gigs and traveling forever. So it's cool that you were able to move into work that yeah. sort of offset the, you know, yeah. the tiring part of the whole thing. You know, it's not easy playing. I could imagine, you know, Seth Troxler, he's also from Kalamazoo. We were talking back and forth on Facebook about Kalamazoo. And then I ended up doing a release for his Tuskegee uh, label like a year and a half ago. And he was just saying, yeah, it's, you know, it's not like everybody thinks you're jumping from, taxi to taxi or airport to airport the fun part is playing of course but that travel part i understand why they came up with the usb sticks for the cdjs <laughs> completely because if you take around even uh equipment like midi controllers or like your vinyl 
and you play somewhere Friday and then you're up and you got to catch the train in three hours and then you got to be fresh and then still go to dinner and talk to people with intelligence and you're t- only thing you can think about is I just want to sleep. I just couldn't imagine doing that now. I've already done it, you know, and done that for a number of years. Now I just, I would like to do it in a way of, all right, that's a good party. That's a good one. It's for good people. I know they have the right intentions. I'll play there. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, I, I feel fine in my studio. This is like the best time when I'm actually making a song. And I don't know if it's going to get released or not. I'm just having fun. That seems like a pretty healthy you know, perspective on the whole thing. Yeah, if you make some wise investments, you know, and don't just spend all your money, you can be fine. I, I made sure I did some of that, too, when I first started. Okay, here's here's $5,000 from the last release. What are you going to do? Make sure there's enough for the next release? Do you really need to have that car? Do you really need to have this gold necklace or something? No, let's put it in the bank and invest some of it, you know, for the future. And it turned out good, so... <laughs> if I could advise anybody to do that, young producers, if you're getting some money now, always put some away for the future because you just never know. That's good advice. <laughs> yeah. You said it a couple times that you only want to work with people that have like the right mindset. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by that? Just don't want to be around any negative people. People that, and that might not necessarily be that they're always negative because it could just be that moment that they're negative, but the effect seems to be worse than if someone is positive. Someone can be around you and they're negative and they can just screw up your whole day. And the more you're around them, then you start thinking this way, like, oh, it's not possible. The fear thing kicks in, you know, fear, what is it? False evidence appearing real and it's not real. You know, that's what I mean. If I'm around people that are positive, there's no thinking of, okay, this is going to fail. It's just going to work and that's it. These are the people I want to be around. You know, I've had many experiences with negative people and a lot of wasted time. Like, man, this thing could have actually worked. And I had to analyze, why was this like this today? Oh, I was around that person. And he was kept saying, it's not going to work. No, you should do this. You should just listen to your parents and do what they say. You know, if I listened to my parents, I would have never been to Europe. You know, I would have went to school and, you know, I did go to school for computer science. But I would have took the job for that and stayed in that. And probably be going to church every Sunday and just, you know, boring life for me if I would have listened to my mom. But no, I chose to go on my route. I knew what was inside and I needed to do. But yeah, negative people, oh, I can go on and on and on and on about this, <laughs> but I won't bore you with that. No, they have a problem for every solution. So avoid them as much as possible. And I guess, especially as like a touring artist, it probably helps your you know, longevity and your sanity um, to only expose yourself to people that make you feel optimistic about things. It's not so easy because there's negative people around. You just have to have that radar and know, okay, his thinking, he thinks that way. I'll just try to spend less time with him, even if he's the promoter or whatever. I just, quick little dinner. I won't even, even if he has an idea, I won't even argue against it. You know, I just, maybe some of my positive energy will rub off on him unknowingly and then, you know, I'll just say, hey, maybe I'm busy. I have something else to do. But if I notice they're positive, I'll try to get into deep conversations because, you know, ultimately I want the knowledge in someone else's head, you know, especially someone very intelligent and spiritual. I don't know their experiences, but if I hang out with them enough, I can directly get their experiences to my subconscious and maybe it can work for me, something that they did. It doesn't matter. It's there and it can be used when it needs to be used. 
Yeah, this might be a delicate question, but I guess how would you describe like your spirituality in general? Would you describe yourself as religious, or is it more of like oh. a? Or you, I guess I'll let you describe. I have it. to. I probably have to give you like the quick story of how it came to be. Basically, I grew up in a church like Rob Hood. You know, like going to church every Sunday because that's just what you did—a Pentecostal church. This is like a black church where you know when they're singing, they're getting up and they're dancing, and you know it's a whole show. Well, I was like 12 years old, and I remember sitting in the back, and the thought came to me, well, if God is here, so that means God has parents and grandparents and great, so, and it got crazy. I was like, so when did this thing start? And then I started thinking, if God made the devil, why would he make this thing, and then he knows you're going to go to hell or heaven? So when church was, the service was finished, I went straight to the preacher, and I said, pastor, where does God come from? And he couldn't answer it. He just kept like going around the circles and I said, oh, and that's began this quest of wanting to know. And it was driving me crazy for like through my teenage years. How did this thing start? And finally, you know, I met Nomita and then got into the whole Indian thing. And then I started meeting more people that were more spiritual. So I said, okay, I'm not religious because I, I even know that for uh, Christianity, like Egypt had something like Christianity and somebody else had something like Christianity. So it's not even, it's not the first you know, and I know that like those Bibles, it's like so many copies that were miswritten on purpose. So then I really started to think, okay, I guess that the only religion you can be is to know that what's now is true, you know, and just be at peace with everything and know that, okay, if whatever this thing we call God has been here forever, that means I've been here forever because I'm part of it. So that's the only way I can think, you know, like nothing is wrong. Nothing is correct. It's just that what I'm thinking, it happens. And I just have to choose, like, okay, am I going to be this person that screws over people or this person that uplifts people? So I don't even know what to call it, actually. You know, definitely not religion, because that just controls people at the masses. We know this. But as far as this thing, what I'm doing, I I just call it nature, I guess. Just living in nature. <laughs> it's interesting you said you're in a Pentecostal church just like Rob Hood, because something you said earlier reminded me a little bit something Rob Hood said about uh -huh. the the kind of energy of techno, you mm -hmm. know, of like a hard, fast techno track. It's yeah. This sort of like a kind of spiritual willpower, like a, yeah. a, a force that lets you, you know, achieve things or mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, helps push you through the world. And it sounds like you have kind of a similar Love techno on it. Yeah. I did talk to a lady in Kalamazoo eons ago, and she was a sort of like shamic yoga teacher. You know, that type, you smell like incense and everything. And she said that, you know, this constant four-count beat, she said it's working on your lower chakras. And when she said it at the time, I didn't really pay too much attention to it. But later, I was thinking, oh, you know, I remember her saying that. And I, I do remember getting hooked on techno, not from the clubs. Uh, when I was a teenager and younger, Half my summers I would spend in Detroit and half in Chicago and the school year being Kalamazoo. So in Detroit, I'd be there six weeks and then Chicago six weeks for like summer vacation. So I would be recording at the time Jeff Mills was the wizard. So I was recording his sets on tapes. And then in Chicago, I would record the Hot Mix 6, all those guys on tape. And I'd come back to Kalamazoo and I'd sell these tapes to people in school. So this is how I was kind of getting exposed to this whole techno thing. And I always just liked the four count beat. It always made me feel like natural. I would hear these like house tracks and I actually liked it more than I did early hip hop then. Because at that time, 
at 87, 88, 89, 90, you know, that was the best time for me for hip hop. Just New York's flavor. And I really liked that sound. But when techno started coming around, I'm hearing Derek May, Juan Atkins, and that sound kind of just took me on more, even more than house, you know, just from that. So, yeah, after hearing it in a club, like the first time, like on a big rave, and that kick drum just, you know, it hits you right in the chest and you just feel it on your body. It's like, okay, I'm really, I'm in this thing wholeheartedly. I can't even get out. I'm done. It has me, and I have it, and then, you know, probably till I die, I'll be having equipment around, even if it's going nowhere, just because I love that sound from that, that kick drum. So, yeah, I know what you mean by what he's saying, this uh, Christian thing, because he could also be thinking from the church, when they're singing hymns, it's upbeat. And a lot of times, the, the guy that's playing the drum is often the, like the techno kick. Mm-hmm. And then they're just singing on top of it. So it's you have it from when you're a kid from church, but you don't realize it until later. Mm-hmm. You say, damn, it was, you know, similar, similar energy. Mm-hmm. But as far as like putting God in it in this, I, I yeah, I don't know. Right. You know? <laughs> but I guess just that feeling of getting lost in a kind of musical moment and mm-hmm. it and it has sort of like a transcendent, you know, spiritual thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be religious, but just mm-hmm. that, you know, finding that experience yeah. in music that's yeah. something that you both got from the church and you still kind of yeah know. stays with you you know you remember <laughs> i guess can you tell me a little bit about growing up in kalamazoo and how you got exposed to music and everything um so the city is basically halfway between yeah. chicago and detroit and does that sort of define the you know the atmosphere of the place does it feel like it's halfway between chicago and detroit musically you know it's funny with kalamazoo it's an international city because you got people from all over the world, you know, living there. But, you know, the co- big companies like Pfizer is there, Gibson Guitars, James Rivers, uh, Paper Company, and Celery. Like, Kalamazoo was the biggest producer of Celery, the Celery Flats. And you have your colleges like Western Michigan University. When you're in the middle of all this, of course, you have a lot of Chicago guys coming down and Detroit guys coming down doing numerous of things either drug related things or some positive things like partying or some of them just settling there or even just some of them just coming down just to have a good time in Kalamazoo but growing up there it was quite nice as a kid there are a lot of things to do a lot of beaches around music wise we had this guy named Tony Jackson and he used to book Jeff Mills a lot on his parties but back then Jeff Mills was the wizard you know so he come down and you see him playing on three turntables. So you had people coming in from out of town, like getting you exposed to the music. But my upbringing was more jazz. My mom would always play like Al Jarreau in a car or like Prince. She's the one that got me uh, into Prince because she took me to the, the movie when it first came out. Purple Rain. Yeah, Purple Rain. And I, you know, for me, that was the best time. Like Purple Rain stuff for Prince, that's okay. And everything he's written, not only the Purple Rain stuff, but for other people, I like that sound. So that kind of like started getting me into musical things. You know, um, my mom had me in piano lessons Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So that took up time. And then Tuesday and Thursday was karate. But (laughs) yeah, because so you can imagine, all I want to do is go outside and play. And she's got me doing these things every day. (laughs) But it was good that she was playing. these old things from Motown. She always was playing this music because I was just getting exposed. And then, yeah, as a teenager, I started listening to more VH1 because it would come on every Friday for three hours and I would just be watching these videos. But it had that all that early 80s sound, which I just still like today. 
And then that just progressed, me going in the summers to Detroit and Chicago till it came to the point where, okay, after meeting Derek May through my cousin Jay Denham, I said, this is exactly what I want to do. Because that was there was a chance for me to do hip-hop with a guy. I was going to be his DJ. And we actually got offered a contract, and we haven't even finished high school yet. And it was going to be on the same label that Too Short was on. This guy managed to set all this up, and it was just in a brink of a second that I happened to go up to Detroit one day with Jay. And I saw Derek May having his equipment on the floor, and he was sitting Indian style, and it looked all spiritual. So I said, no, this is this is what I want to do. That's kind of how I started getting into it, like being exposed by music from my mom, which led to other things and just developing life in Kalamazoo. You know, small town, but international. And it was your cousin Jay, that he was your kind of your original link to mm-hmm. like the house and techno world, is that right? Like I said, I was listening to the stuff before him but he had moved to detroit and he was connected with the you know detroit guys i mean he did the nsync record so that was a big success for him nsync uh storm it was on transmat it was fragile so he just tracked this uh, release called nsync the jay denham did it was like it was like a big hit you know he was well known for that and then he decided to move back to kalamazoo after being in detroit for three years and when he came back he said okay i'm going to start up black nation and we had a meeting it, at that time, it was Fanon Flowers, Brett Dancer, Chance McDermott, me, this guy named Tony Ali, and Damon Lamar, who is on, he was on Cashmere's label as Baby Pop. Because we're all, you know, all of us are from Kalamazoo. We all went to high school together, but Jay was like older than us. So we were like young guys. But he was my cousin, so it was like, you know, it was looking up to him. So when he came back, he said, I'm going to put this label together. And then we all just started kind of like having our own gear and equipment. And we would go to Jay, watch him make tracks and other people. Like sometimes I would go to hip hop guys and watch how they make tracks. But because of what he was doing, it made you want to do it. I'm not saying that he taught me like, okay, this is how you MIDI up the keyboard. This is exactly how you put a record out. This is what you do. It was just that, all right, he's here. He's my older cousin. He did it. I feel this music. Now I'm going to do it. So Mm -hmm. if I can say that's how he helped me. In this way, the link to, to everything and meeting everyone in Detroit on a more personal level was because of that day of going up to Detroit, that, that day he wanted to go and meet with Derek. That was like, boom, now I'm meeting Shake, Juan, Kevin, Carl, everybody through this one point. Stay with me ever since. <laughs> so what year is that? Like, those guys are all still, they, they weren't like, you know, uh, no. stars or anything yet. Some of them were, no, but yeah, not like, not, not like obviously today. I think that was... 91 or 92 sure because yeah. i was just getting like i said out of high school right and you know didn't know you know we're going to detroit oh that's the guy's records i was buying when i was 14 or Derek may and you know and now i'm meeting him personally with jay here's shake and so yeah that was 91 92 so you must have been pretty young when you first got into all this stuff i was still a teenager even when I was like, when I had like first gear, probably some of the releases that came out earlier, some of them might have been made even when I was like 18 or something. But in terms of like just listening to it, yeah, it must have been really young, like uh, even before like 12, 12 or yeah, something. even before that, because I was a kid going, you know, I was going to Chicago, like I said, to be in Chicago six weeks, Detroit six weeks. I don't even know why I was recording <laughs> these mixes, probably because one of my cousins there, oh, listen to this, and oh. What's this? Okay, let's record the tape. And then, I, you know, I'd come back sometimes on a train by myself or my mom would pick me up and I would be listening to the tape. And I don't even know why. So I can only imagine that 
it was probably one of my cousins because I didn't stay only with one aunt. I would go to Chicago for six weeks, be at one aunt's house for a couple of days and then to another and staying with a different cousin. And then I would make all these friends in these different neighborhoods and then the same in Detroit. But somebody somewhere probably said, oh, listen to this and record. And that got me doing it and it just stuck in my head. So it's been around for a long time. Yeah. And that shows how that music is just kind of the bread and butter of those cities yeah. in that time. It's crazy to think about. Some of those dudes were only selling records in Chicago. And they're probably selling 10000 alone just in Chicago. Right. Because some of them didn't think about Europe and things. They were just making records to battle each other in the neighborhood. Some of those DJs in Chicago, all right, I got to make a record to battle you. So then they put a whole record out. But then it's coming to Europe and it's blowing up. You know, and <laughs> it's a strange thing. Yeah, and I guess just sounds and styles didn't uh, travel the same way. No. Back then, everything <laughs> stayed local. Yeah. So when you first made those trips to Detroit, met all those guys, were they all cool and friendly? Did you feel like you were kind of being welcomed into this oh, scene? Yeah. It was the weirdest thing. There was no, you know, sometimes you can feel when someone just doesn't like you or they get, they, they're always trying to like pick at you. I didn't have that with anyone that I met. But probably because also me being young at that time, I didn't have these kind of thoughts. I just, you know how you're naive. You just think everything's, everybody's cool. It's all supposed to work. So, yeah, everybody just embraced me. Okay, he's doing his own thing. But I didn't, when I started Sonic Mind, it was actually Dan Curtin. He's the reason why I actually got the label going. Mm. Because it was him that gave me the contacts to Archer Pressing Plant, and he gave me the number to Ron that did the mastering. Because originally I was supposed to be on his label for Metamorphic after we met and we were talking back and forth for a few years. Then it was like, all right, I start signing mine. And then, you know, more of the Detroit guys I just got comfortable with because I had to go up there often. So I would meet like Mike Huckabee and Record Time, talk to him. And then I think that's when I first met Rob Hood is I was taking some records to Record Time. And Mike Huckabee said, you should give this guy your record, even though we're distributing it because he's about to go to Germany in a week. And I hadn't know who Rob Hood was before that because I hadn't met him yet. I only met other people. And all this stuff was pretty early. But, you know, when I met him, very nice at the time. It was no kind of, like, negative things. I think back then people were just doing their own thing. This was, like, before, like, Facebook and Internet and all course, these things. Yeah. So you don't have time to think about, like, if someone's liking your post or, oh, I got 100 likes today. Wow. You know, it was just, oh, meet somebody. Hey, man, how you doing? What do you do? Oh, okay, you do this? All right, cool. See you later. I guess you kind of just touched on it, but... um. Do you feel like that's something that's kind of been lost or that sort of feeling of like a, you know, organic community of all people that know each other, helping each other out? Is, is that something you miss? Yeah, I do. I really enjoy going to someone else's house and watching them work. Sometimes I, it was enough for me not to even just sit there. Oh, and be entertained by this guy actually doing a DJ mix, which is not he's not mixing on records, but he's using his gear and making a, like songs like 30 minutes and he's just changing the patches and everything but everything sounds good and these were the things i really enjoy now of course none of that happens you know facebook instagram everything is just kind of like someone posts something but it's you know they don't even want to talk it's impersonal i have this rule where if i'm going to work with you and do something we got to at least uh, skype or uh, facetime i want to like see your face not just write some email and I never actually talked to you or heard your voice even. That's just, you know, it's it's just, I don't know, maybe I'm old school, but I still want to have some kind of organic contact, yeah. if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I, I miss that tremendously, man. 
maybe it'll be a good thing if uh, people will get bored of Facebook and then you might have to kind of go back to, you know, the old ways a little bit. <laughs> I'm thinking because now it's just like creating a lot of sick minds, I think, you know. That experience you just described of hanging out with someone while they made music. Um, mm-hmm. Did you have that specifically? Or is that sort of how you learned at some point? Yeah, because I don't know if you remember a record by this guy named Rich Lee. He did on actually, it was Lenny's label, you know, um, Octave One. This guy from Kalamazoo, he did this record called Rock So Hard, you know, Make the Building Shake. And I would go to his house a lot. And he was also, you know, involved with Jay and learning from Jay and just watching him. Oh, okay, he did this, he did that. Oh, okay, maybe I can try that. And then sometimes going to the hip-hop guys and, okay, they're doing like this and that. Okay, maybe I can try that with my stuff because I didn't think that way. And I think those the technical kind of things I, I maybe picked up a little bit. Okay, plug the cable in here, put it here, record to the uh, two-track, reel-to-reel tape. Um, but far as like just actually making stuff, it just that kind of just came natural. There was really no thinking of it. It's just, oh, that sounds good. Oh, wow, this thing is making strings, all oh, this bass and probably was the crappiest recordings, but just the feel of it then was was just there and it was all new and you just knew that like from the first time I started actually, I never had like a bad review. If someone didn't like the music, they just, okay, I don't like it. But most of the time when I created things, it was someone always had something positive thing to say, but I think it was because it was coming naturally from my heart. Like I really, each track, I felt good about it. And I really was passionate about making this music. So it just comes out in the music that way. But yeah, like, as you were saying earlier, going to other people's houses and hanging out, you get this energy, this vibe off of them. And you're just, you know, the whole thing of, oh, I'm watching him. I can feel it. I learn, you know, just by watching. And now I'm going to go home and do the same, hopefully. (laughs) But come out with my own sound. Yeah, earlier on, you said something about... If you're having dinner with a promoter or something and you figure out that they're, you know, like a kind of a positive, kind of deep minded mm-hmm. person that you can absorb some of yeah. what's in their mind and then you you mm-hmm. kind of, you know, take it on yourself and you sort yeah. of benefit from contact with other people. Yeah. It seems like you experienced that in, you know, in your early yeah. experiences in Detroit and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's funny to think about just um, speaking to people with a, kind of a personal history like yours, I'm always struck by what feels like a kind of cosmic luck um, no. <laughs> that, that you would end up, you know, with these guys as influences is mm-hmm. um, it might seem normal to you, but it's, I don't know, it's kind of like a incredibly, you know, it's like a serendipitous sort of situation or it's, it's extremely sort of, um, you know, fort- fortunate for you. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I often ask, what if I would have went that hip hop route? What if I would have decided, okay, let's, let's go out to California and do this hip hop album what will my life be like? But I think, you know, you just naturally know the universe, like, you just knew, okay, this is what you're going to do. And it just felt more natural. Well, you know, when I was making the hip-hop beats, it was using more samples. But with techno, I noticed that there's no sampling. I'm just, you know, I'm creating this stuff on the spot. Okay, I didn't make the synthesizer, obviously, or the drum machine, but it's spontaneous. Sometimes I'm just touching buttons and wow, this sound is coming out. So then I started to think on a deeper level. So it doesn't matter about the machines. It's all about you because the next guy can come on here in the machine and he's going to sound completely different. So this is coming from something that you can't see, like some unseen force, but it's coming through you. So 
there must be a way to tap into this. And this is when I, you know, started getting digging into this. Okay, how to do this. Oh, so if I'm around somebody long enough, what's ever in their subconscious is connected to this source. And being close to them, you can actually tap into it and like kind of like on a computer, download it to you, the stuff that you want. So if you don't want the negative stuff, get away from the negative person. But if you want the positive stuff, just be around the person long enough and, you know, it actually absorbs to you and stay there, you know, stays there. And then you have to figure out, okay, how to get it out of my subconscious because it's just like a closet, your subconscious. It just collects everything and it stays. So that's why now, now I know TV and all these things. Okay, I shouldn't be watching it, but of course I still do Netflix and, and, and stuff. But I try to be conscious of that. All right. I'm totally blocking the subliminals that they're putting there, and I'm actually watching the show for what it is and hope that it's not staying because these things can come out later and you can't control it. But, like, even now, being close to you, whatever's in your uh, subconscious, I can probably have it there and maybe use the positive parts of it for myself later on. When you start getting more, like, spiritual, you become aware that you can do things like this, even with your animals or, like, your, your plants, in your house, like everything is connected to this thing which you're a part of. So you can just take the best parts of everything and use it. But you have to be think consciously thinking like this. Mm. If you're not thinking about this, you'll miss it. But when you actually, okay, look at the plant and I'm looking at it. Oh, it knows how, to, no one told it to grow. It just knows how to do it. But what does that plant know that I don't know? So that led me to watching a movie, The Secret Life of Plants. And I watched that thing and I said, okay, I didn't know. That's a whole other thing about plants that I had no idea that they, you know, if you have them in your home, they actually get really connected with you and they know you. And you can think about them up to two miles away and they react to you thinking to them. So I'm like, wow, everything is just, you know, spiritual. What you see, what you can't see, you just have to slow down sometimes and, all right, let me look at this. Is this really solid? What could I actually learn from this thing? Okay, so far I don't see it now, but maybe two days later... You realize, and I was doing that two days ago, and I was thinking about it. Now I have this thought for something else. So it's just a matter of you yeah, slowing down, realizing what's around you, taking it in for yourself, and becoming naturally intelligent. Mm. And before you mentioned um, that you had this hip-hop deal kind of in the works, and then yeah. it was that you saw Derek May in what kind of looked like a spiritual pose with yes. stuff around him. I mean, aside from that moment... Would you say you kind of sensed this sort of spiritual depth in techno that you didn't see in hip-hop? And was that maybe part of how that decision happened? I think I naturally felt something by listening to those house tapes and the techno tapes. Because in high school, sometimes we had these high school parties and there would be a DJ. And the DJ that played more like R&B and hip-hop and things, it didn't. it felt commercial. But when a guy played house music, I noticed the majority of the kids didn't like the house music. And it would be it was a small number of us that did. And the house music always felt special. So, yeah, I kind of sense that I don't know what it is about this house music and techno, but it just feels more natural and not really like it's underground. You know, that pure love feeling. I guess the difference of like a McDonald's cheeseburger or like some cheeseburger your grandmother made like with love that really actually tastes better but if you're like blinded by the commercialism you think oh mcdonald's is better but with techno house i just kind of noticed this isn't for everybody I, I figured that out in high school not everybody can listen to this i mean 
Becky Sue, the volleyball cheerleader, you know, in high school, there was no way she was listening to house music or techno. I'd play this stuff. Oh my God, Donald! Like, what, what is this you listen to? Oh, you, it's the same. It's, it's, it's the record broken. It's just you know playing the same thing. But then the guy that was, he wasn't like a nerd, a smart guy. He wasn't in the in crowd. You know, he's doing his thing. Maybe a skateboarder type of cool guy. He's totally into house, but he's more balanced than Becky Sue, the you know volleyball cheerleader <laughs> in high school. So. That was my earliest notice that, yeah, this music isn't for everyone. It takes time for them to get to this. So you can expose them to it, but maybe at some point they just, oh, boom. It got to my subconscious. Now I'm into this whole electronic music scene. It's true that a part of music as well is this sort of like tribe surrounding it. Um, yeah. And there will be one that you sort of see yourself in and mm -hmm. another one that you don't, you know? Yeah, I knew you know, I, it was just those tapes. That's what it had to be. Probably see the circumstances. You're going to be going to Detroit half the summer and Chicago half the summer, for like for a lot of times during, you, you know, your school time. And then, okay, why am I recording these tapes? And then later, you know, okay, now I'm buying Transmet records and Juan Atkins records. And now I'm buying like some Farley Jack Master Funk in high school when, you know, and also buying hip hop. You know, I was still buying those things too, but why am I buying this house music stuff? I'm not really... DJing it, but I felt it, and especially I have to say probably Transmat. I, I mean Derek, the strings and all this, you know, it just it just took me over. Listen, even still today, I have his stuff, you know, on the phone through Apple Music or <laughs> in the car. I can put on a Transmat record, and man, it just it just still sounds damn good. He's the big one for you. They're all equal, but the one that just okay, his music just you know for me. It just resonated with me the most. You know, um Was there a particular record? Strings of Life. It is what it is. You know, these were the, the two that just okay, I can still play them today many times and not get bored. But then his other stuff, you know, as well on Transmat, the other tracks around it, they're also great. And I know what he's using, you know, the DX one hundred, you know, the Juno, this and that, the sequencer. But see it was him at that time, whatever was going on at that time that he produced this kind of sound and it just worked for me. It just made me, you know, kind of emulate him a little bit. Like, okay. Like sometimes when I was thinking, Oh, I want it, but then, Oh no, it's sounding too much like that. You got to go change it. Even though naturally that's just what came out. But I know, okay, if I were to release that, they're going to say you're trying to copy Derek. So you have to go back in and manipulate these sounds <laughs> and everything. But those other guys were great too. You know, I, I have to applaud Mike Banks for, spending a lot of time with me and schooling me on just life knowledge because <laughs> you can sit with him for eight hours and he doesn't like leave Detroit much, but he knows everything what's going on in the world and things you couldn't even imagine to think about he's talking about. And then you get this spark like, yeah, I'm going to go back to Kalamazoo now and I'm going to just, you know, do all these things and that after you talk to Mike. So he's that, he was the guy for that, but Derek was the guy for the music. So you said earlier you had that experience of, you know, hearing uh, techno in a big sound system, you know, hearing a proper rave and feeling mm -hmm. like this is it, like I'm I'm in this now. Yeah. All these years later, is it still kind of a result of those early moments? Or, you know, did you have more experiences like that? Oh, like recently? Or just, you know, is it all kind of coming from that initial explosion of those early years? I think since then I was just hooked. From that moment, it just, that's it. It just stuck. And I couldn't. Man, I couldn't even imagine doing something else. You know, it's just now, okay, 
I might go to some parties here, even in Berlin. And, you know, sometimes I'm not satisfied, as I say. You know, I when you get that first taste of that that good steak or something, and, and you know, and you keep looking for that that taste, and you know it's there, so you just stick with it. But then sometimes you go to a restaurant, and like, ah, oh, it's not quite. So I, I have to say within the last couple of years, I haven't been getting my fixed on the parties, but then, you know, there's YouTube, so now I have people like Kink. You know, I just love his live PAs, or I might see somebody doing something. I'm like, okay, I can feel this, and I can feel that, and that, that puts me back to that time. Because probably, I think that party, that first one where I heard that, that had to probably be a Richie Houghton party when he was doing those parties like in Canada and those uh, cornfields. I would go back to his part, you know, his parties often, and they were just great. And it's pro- and I can only imagine it had to be one of his parties that the first time where I was like, okay, this is, I'm in it. I'm not like, there's no return, you know, this is just going to be with me for life. Nowadays, yeah, I, you know, it could be that I'm not going out enough either. But it's different when you're married and, you know, you're you're getting older and you're a bit more settled and you got different kind of things that you're in, into. You're not going to just be going to whatever party. You're going to wait for, like, okay, I'm going to this party because I know it's going to be really good. Sure, but, I mean, I guess it's easy to see how one of Houghton's parties in the early 90s in a cornfield, that's just a totally different thing than oh, what yeah. you get now. But, I mean, what what's different about it or what was kind of special about the atmosphere the energy at, at, at those parties you know it, it amazed me that you can go to a party like that with so many people thousands of people and no violence ever everybody's just there to have a good time and they all just love this music okay sure they're doing their drugs probably drinking and doing whatever but you don't have this feeling of someone's gonna rob me here or something bad's gonna happen you just get the feeling of I just got to find space on the dance floor to dance. And I'm I'm in this, now this whole frequency energy is like magnified by many people in there coming for the same thing. So it's even more intense. So you're not only feeling it from the DJ, but from the people around you and whatever energy is there, it makes it stronger. And on his parties, yeah, they were just, they were just so, they were just so freaking good, man. The whole night, you know, and you, you just didn't want to leave. Even if you're getting tired, you're like, okay, I got to hear this guy now. And I should have went home maybe two hours ago. I still got to drive back to Kalamazoo, you know, from here. But no, I, I got to hear this guy. And But now, I don't know, maybe it's just what the times. Things are changing. People just, you know, okay, we can't do what they did back then. We have to do it in our, our own way in the club. But then, you know, you had vendors, people selling T-shirts. You had different rooms, like jungle in this room, house in this room, techno in this area. So if you got tired of being pounded, okay, I can go over here and chill out. I can go there, or I can go buy a T-shirt or a mixtape. I can get something to eat, or I can go outside where it's ambient. So I think it was also this, too, like a big kind of circus party where maybe the festivals now are doing that. But it just, I think, you know, with technology and everything, people are just changing a bit. They, You know, you become more me focus because back then like i said it was before facebook and all these things so you would meet somebody on the party you didn't even have to know them and you guys could have a nice conversation where now i think it's kind of like well get me on facebook and we'll we'll talk and like okay man i'm missing this kind of personal thing i'm at the festival but unless i know who i'm meeting i can feel alone it's kind of strange i can be here with fifty thousand people but i feel alone but i gotta find the people that i need to hang out with but it shouldn't be that way. I should be able to, like, you know, talk to whoever and not feel alone. So I think that's the difference I feel now than I did back then, where then I could go to the party by myself. 
and I wouldn't feel alone because I knew I would just meet some new cool people or I could actually go stand by the DJ booth and watch the guy the whole night and not no one even telling me to go away. We're here. Okay, if I go, I'm probably going to be down here looking up to someone playing and no one around me is going to talk to me. You know, if they don't know me, they're just going to do their own thing and okay, whoever you are. So, yeah, I don't like that kind of like non-personal thing. So that's the difference I see from then and now. Yeah, I remember somebody telling me about back in the day, kind of saying, you know, if you imagine a situation of at the party, there's people from all different cities that all drove like mm-hmm. a few hours to get there. And if you get split up from your friends, you just don't even try to find them really because you don't yeah. have cell phones and it's crowded. And uh-huh. so everyone just kind of chats each other up. Right? Yeah. And you also know, like, you might never see any of these people again. Like, you live in different cities and there's mm-hmm. no way to stay connected. So it's really a pretty unique, special social environment right. you know, where everyone's very much present. Like they're just right, you know, it's, yeah. it's only right then. There's there's no before or after kind of. Yeah. And you can see how that sort of works with the overall atmosphere, energy of a rave that, that all kind of works together. No, it, it's, it's right. It, when people come together for that, it, it's just, it's magical, especially when you're coming for something that you love. But yeah, that's just what I miss. I just like that, you know, that personal contact. Even if I'm staying with someone sometimes when I'm playing somewhere, often if they're very cool people, I prefer to stay with them than the hotel. Because, hey, I want to go around and see what you do every day, locally. That's how I can really know about your city and town. I don't want to just, like, get from the airport to the hotel and stay there the whole day and wait for you to pick me up for dinner and really talk about nothing and then play and then back. No, the better for me is, okay, I'm here at your house. Let's just go to the local bar. Where do you get your eggs? You know, let's go to the mall. Like, I just want to, you know, because I want this experience. I want to really, like, all right, I was there, and wherever I was, I went around, and, you know, I did this. I even went to church with the people, or, I, you know, we went to their aunt's house. That's more, like, fun for me 